Everyday, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. It's amazing uh, what you learn about somebody so quickly when, when they're in a dire spot in their lives. You know, it's, it's like people, people tell them. I'm B. Moore, and welcome to 52 Conversations. classic movie, The Blues Brothers, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd say repeatedly that they're on a mission from God. It's one thing to see on the big screen, another to see in real life, and my next guest has been on such a mission. My name is Mary Courtright Keogh. I'm doing this interview at Sarah's Guest House, which was originally Sarah House, a house I started uh, in 1994. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and a little bit about how I got here. Mary, I'd like to welcome you to 52 Conversations, and it's an honor to have you as my guest today. Thank you. Absolutely. I know that you are probably most known for your work with Sarah's Guest House, but I know that you've done a lot of things even before Sarah's Guest House, and I'd like to go back even before then and just tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've accomplished and done in terms of your charitable work here in Central New York. Hmm. Charitable work is an interesting phrase. I, I, think, uh, I think of what I do as my life work. I uh, f- first met my husband in the 60s, and he was running a soup kitchen for alcoholics and street people. I was working at Niagara Mohawk at the time in the legal department. I was a legal secretary. I was always very interested in the law. I went through that phase. I worked at Niagara Mohawk for 10 years. I left there because I had asked for a leave of absence so I could do the street work at the Unity Kitchen full time. I had become a volunteer there. I was so moved by the people that I was serving, that I was serving a meal one day, and I looked at the person that I was serving, and I saw the face of Christ, and I started weeping, and I, I, I could not stop. So that was a great turning point in my life. Dick and I later married, had two children. I now have three beautiful grandchildren. Um, and so hospitality has always been a, a big part of our lives. Dick and I, and even I as a single person, always had people living with us. We've had unwed mothers. We've had people coming out of prisons and jails, um, people that just needed a place to live. So that's part of who we are. And hospitality is just uh, second nature to both of us. I came from a large family. My mother and father had uh, eight children. So I was used to being surrounded by a lot of people. So it wasn't new to me to be, uh, you know, having people live with us. So um, that eventually developed into... um, the beginnings of Dorothy Day House, which um, was a home 
designed to take in women uh, from their difficult situations. So I was on that original steering committee, and actually their uh, first meetings were at my kitchen table many, many years ago. So that's gone on to be a very successful endeavor, and out of that uh, also is Vera House. So we have two houses in Syracuse uh, serving women. And historically, we'd always taken care of men, even in our prisons and our jails and our hospitals. Uh, but women were not being taken care of in any way that uh, I could see. So I'm very proud of being able to be part of that kind of a movement. And we have always been advocates for um, the underdog. I always pick the underdog. It comes from my background of liking sports and picking the underdog. Sitting at my grandfather's knee listening to radio way, way back when people didn't know what television were or whatever. So. Yeah, who was he rooting for? Yeah. Well, I, I remember the Yankees, of course, the Dodgers, and I was torn because part of my family were Dodgers fans and part of them were Yankees. And, of course, then I disowned them when they went to the West Coast, the Dodgers, you know. <laughs> as, as, did, as did many. As did many. <laughs> I believe. I believe. Oh, and when baseball got so taken over by money, I quit going to the games. And I, I feel so bad about that. You know, I go back to playing in the streets. I, I used to play uh, football with, with all the guys. I was the only girl they'd let play. Of course, I was the fastest. That was why. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, and, I, and I always thought girly things were boring, and I wanted to climb trees and do what boys did. So I did. Wow. Yeah. And, and I... I think I always bucked the systems. I've never been a great fan of systems. I never had any uh, rules and regulations for Sarah House because I don't believe in rules and regulations. I believe in guidelines. We need guidelines in life. We don't need rules. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, you refer to Sarah's house as your third child. I do. Talk a little bit about mm. how you gave birth, and, and, you know, not just yourself, but in collaboration with many others, gave birth to the whole notion and the ideal of Sarah's house and how it became a reality. Mm -hmm. Both our daughters were off to college, and I was working part-time for Transitional Living Services. And I loved that work, you know. Uh, that, was, that was a wonderful uh, experience in my life. But there was a little house next door uh, that became available, and Dick and I were going to Rosary Parish at the time. And uh, the priest asked, asked us if we had any idea what might be used for that little three-bedroom house. And my husband said, well, I don't think I have anything, Jack, but I think my wife does. And she talks about a uh, hospitality house. There was a need for uh, a place like Sarah House, and I became acutely aware of it when I got a call from a nurse friend of mine who had a family that the nurses had been taken care of. This family was from New York City. The 
son and brother of the three women coming had run out of money. The mother would take a week off of work, and then the two sisters would take a week off of work. This was a young man that was dying of AIDS. And uh, so there was nothing, nothing in Syracuse at the time to support that kind of person, that, that need for people coming from outside to take care of a loved one. So the nurse called and said, you know, we've done what we can with transportation and food and so on. If you get an extra room, and of course we've always had an extra room. If we didn't have an extra room, we made an extra room. So I, um, I've almost forgotten some of these stories. Okay. So this family, beautiful, beautiful people, um, mother and two sisters came, and I can remember celebrating Mother's Day with this mother shortly before her only son died. And uh, what an honor it was to know these people. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's amazing uh, what you learn about somebody so quickly when, when they're in a dire spot in their lives. You know, it's, it's like people, people tell their most um, personal uh, secrets and so on. So this mother and I became good friends, of course. And we went through the death of the child, and, and uh, he was a child. He was a young man. And uh, there's nothing like that. Uh, there's, there's no club like that that you want to belong to, but you know, you know. So the idea was planted. I knew, I knew that there was a need. So that situation planted the idea. So when the house met the idea, I said, oh, there's the house. So I did a study. You know, I talked to a lot of people, all the non-for-profits, people I knew and some people I didn't know. I went to every hospital and I interviewed people in hospitals. I wanted to find out what the numbers were, what, what the real need was. So early on, I got letters of support and so on. We had no statistics. We had nothing to go on. We certainly didn't have any money. So I had to sell an idea. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know. I, thank God for ignorance, because I had no idea what I was going to have to go through to get Sarah House started. Uh, that's, that's when I understood what the meaning ignorance is bliss. Because, you know, I'm in love with this idea. I've met this beautiful house. It's going to be given to me. Da-da-da-da-da. Isn't that wonderful? Then you get down to the basic work of how you're going to do it. How you're going to, you know, get the house fixed the way it needs to be fixed. How you're going to get the furniture. How you're going to get the staff. How, how, you, how you're going to do it. So uh, little did I know. So we took that little house over. In the downstairs room there was this pink, pink um, stuff that, you know, you use for insulation in the windows. That's how bad shape the house was in. I didn't know until later on that the woman that had lived in the house, the custodian and his wife from Rosary lived there, she was blind. She didn't see that. She didn't know that she had the stuff up in her, her window. So that's how it started. So my daughters were off at college, and I had uh, 
24 hours a day to fill. <laughs> so that's how Sarah has And I still worked part-time for Transitional Living Services for a while, as long as I could, until, you know, the real work uh, began. I started to get volunteers to come in, and because we'd lived in the community for so many years, we knew a lot of people. That's where age is a wonderful thing, you know? You just know a lot more people. So... Um, um, Father Ahern was the priest at the time. He helped me get a personal loan of $20,000. And I paid the loan back within a year. I took a two-hour course at the library on grant writing. Two-hour course. And the people at the library were wonderful. So I wrote my first grant. Paid back the loan and... Uh, you know, within a year and a half. And uh, I, of course, was a volunteer. I said to the priest at the time, I've got to have at least $50 a week just for milk and eggs. <laughs> and then my pay went up to $100 a week. And that went on for quite a while uh, before I took any kind of a salary. And, of course, salary wasn't what I was interested in. Nor is it for most people that start any of these kinds of houses or, you know, um, friends of mine went in. We, we, he and I looked at the house together, Michael DeSalvo. He went in to start Dorothy House, which took care of AIDS patients. And I took this house and named it Sarah House after the biblical Sarah who was so well-known for her hospitality. That's how we got the name Sarah. We prayed about that with Father Ahern for two or three months before we came up with the name, and people say, oh, you want your name, Mary's house. I said, no, it's not my house. It's nobody's house. It'll be the people that come there and stay. It's their house. Sarah is our inspiration. That's why it's Sarah House. That's one. People tried to talk me out of that, uh, because there was some other Sarah's house or something, I, I said no. But, yeah, I heard the Lord call my name. I heard the Lord say Sarah's house. That was it. And I wasn't going to be budging. I knew what I knew, and I know what I know. And some things you just don't argue about. You don't second class. You know what you know. I quit my job at Niagara Mohawk after I started volunteering at the old soup kitchen. Uh, and that's how I met my husband. So I, you know, I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten that little piece of information <laughs> that I left my full-time, very well-paying job uh, to pour soup. Wow. Yeah. Well, I just, I think that says a lot about the, the hospitality that resides in your heart and your dedication to that part of who you are right. even back then yeah. and that's that's wonderful that's a, that's just a wonderful quality of yeah. testament and you know um the one thing that i continue to hear is and i want to hear a little bit more about it um so you were obviously raised catholic very strong catholic faith yeah and, and a lot of these ideals came from from that upbringing absolutely uh most certainly my mother when I look back on my upbringing, a very strict Catholic, but my parents uh, 
were very open people and I never realized how fortunate I was in how they taught us. Uh, we were brought up in Skinny Atlas, New York, and everybody thinks, oh, wealthy, wealthy people. We were never wealthy. We were brought up well. My mother said, class has nothing to do with money, Mary, and don't ever forget that. Her father, my grandfather, Hennessy, who was a very well-known person in Skinny Atlas, was the head of the railroad and um, owned a restaurant at the time. Um, his, his twin brother ran a bar, and my grandfather was the head of the temperance league. <laughs> it's great history. History is wonderful. That's what I love. You know, I love history. And um, my grandfather, Hennessy, said to my mother, and my mother said to me, Mary, don't ever forget, you're no better than anybody else, and nobody is better than you. I have, that has formed my thinking all of my life and this is my 80th year. That, that has been what I've lived by. And I believe that, and I believe that sincerely. Um, you know, my parents were very good people. They were not college-educated people, but they were very bright people, and they were very open people. I was taught about, um, they didn't know how to tell me that everybody wasn't, heterosexual, but they had friends in show business and, and uh, musicians and so on. And the way they explained it to me is, Mary, there's a third sex. Isn't that great? <laughs> but think about that. I mean, my mother was born in 1911. Who was going to tell her? I mean, where, where would we get that kind of information? But where did they, where did they get the love that they got just for their fellow human being. And I inherited that. That was my inheritance from my mother and my father, both, wow. you know. We certainly weren't ever wealthy. We were probably not even upper middle class. But um, we were taught well, and we were taught respect. Very nice. And that was key, key. And it always has been in my life. Nice. You know, respect for all, all human beings, all human beings. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. It is really, yeah. really. So, so going through this process of birthing Sarah House, the birthing process. Yeah, that's um, because uh, Katie and Carrie uh, were not my focus. Uh, I was able to take on this other child, this other child whom, you know, we named Sarah House. And it was very much like giving birth. You know, you go through the, the painful, painful uh, growth of how, how are you going to earn money? How are you going to do any of this? How are, you gonna put, how are you going to put this idea together and make it a reality? So I can remember sitting in that house with little to no heat, with a fold-out table and a phone, crying, and not having any idea what what was my next step, who could I talk to, you know, and and I just kind of stumbled along for the first few months or so. Then I had um, a little uh, coffee or a little tea and invited some of the women from across the street 
from uh, Most Holy Rosary. And they said, oh, well, we'll put you on the list at Easter time. And so they started to bring in little gifts. And that's That was my first fundraiser. Oh, you know, wow. that was the first thing I did to let the community know. So then I just started writing letters and talking to people. Um, and, and I went to the newspaper and I talked to people there. Uh, and eventually, you know, you get an article written here or there. Um, and I was just looking at some of those and um, I think that goes back to about 1992, 93 when the idea was first introduced uh, to the community. So as you bring children up, there's little step by little step by little step. You know, uh, teaching them how to walk, teaching them how to crawl, how to walk, how to stand up on their own, um, how to educate the people around you. That's what I was doing with, with Sarah Housing, just doing the basics, you know. And so, um, when it looked like um, I might be able to actually open a house, uh, I reached out and did a training, and I think there were 50 people that came to the training. I had no idea that was a good number. Little did I know, and I interviewed them all after the training, and there were two I said, you know, I don't think this probably is the right place for you. Uh, and somebody said to me, you can't say no to a volunteer. And I said, well, yes, I can. And the reasons would be you're going to be working with people. You're going to be sharing a, your lives with people that are when they are at their most vulnerable moments. So if I don't think you're ready to handle that at that time in your life, no, you can't. You can't do that now. I said it to one person that... Uh, uh, had just lost her husband, and I said, I just think it's too early for you. You know, right. you need to restore your energy, which was, again, you know, that whole birthing process. And um, after we trained the volunteers and so on, uh, my younger daughter, who was at Simmons College in Massachusetts, was in a serious car accident, and I had to leave immediately. And before that, one week before that, I had said to the group of people that were helping me with my second training, let's do this one like I'm not going to be here. Let's organize this. And that put me in a leadership role here at all. Let's just do this and pretend I'm not even going to be here. And I wasn't. So. I always knew who my boss was, and I always knew where my inspirations came from. And my faith and my belief in God has always been what's led me to do what I do. Over the years, uh, my youngest daughter would say when she came home from school, because of course she was the baby, She'd say, well, I suppose we're going to down, go down and see your baby now, Mama, right? And that's how she would say it. So the kid, my kids referred to Sarah House as my baby because they did give it my 24-hour, seven-day-week attention. <laughs> and at one point, uh, 
my husband would have to come down to visit me at Sarah's house if he wanted to see me. And fortunately, we only lived two and a half blocks up the street, so that worked out well. Wow. But, you know, giving birth, it was very painful. When you look like you're doing something right, and somebody once told me this, beware. Because if you look like you're going to be a success, people will be jealous. I said, oh, no. No, 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 no. If I treat people well, they're going to treat me well right back. Not always. Mm. That was a hard lesson. That was my hardest lesson. Because I do have great faith in people. Given the right opportunities and um, treated in the right way, well, people are good. I, bas I still basically believe that. Right. Even in this crazy mix that we're in now in this world, and in this country particularly. But it wasn't always easy. It was often difficult. Wow. Um, but it's, it is like childbirth. Uh, you don't forget giving birth, and you know you went through difficult times, but the rewards are great. So for me, the rewards were the people that came here, and the stories, and the people's lives that are touched, and your your life is touched over and over and over again. And I think that's um, that's why we would be a success if there is such a thing. Um, I'm not much on success and failure. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a believer of just living life. Nice. And you've been able to do that with Sarah's house now 25 years. Right. And... For those of you who are just joining us, welcome to 52 Conversations. I'm your host, B. Moore, and my guest today uh, is Mary Kilg, and she uh, is the founder of Sarah's Guest House. Mm -hmm. so, so 25 years, what, tell me about what, is, what has um, transformed the organization over these past 25 years. Where's the change that you have seen with the guest house and maybe even with the environment that the guest house uh, operates in. When we moved from the little house next door, which was a little three-bedroom house that we made into a four-bedroom house, um, so we moved in there in 1993 and our first guest came there and we officially opened in 1994. Um, it became apparent pretty quickly that, you know, we're going to need something bigger. <clears throat> and the people across the street at Rosary, again, offered us the space, half of the convent. The convent had been built for, I think, about 21, 22 nuns, all of whom taught, I think, at one time at the school here. So they're down to three or four nuns when we moved in, and... So we literally took over half of the convent, and it was renovated by um, volunteers from the Carpenters Union, the Electricians Union, and so we were very fortunate and got all that work done for nothing. What we had to do, and again, that's when you believe what you believe, they will come and they do. I can't even remember exactly how those people came to us or we went to them, but it happened and they did all of the work. So we went from a four-bedroom 
one and a half bath house to uh, the, we have three suites, each with three bedrooms, each with a bathroom, and then we have our downstairs and we put in two rooms and downstairs and we had a little office room that we'd use. So, you know, there's 11, 12, 13 uh, bedrooms or beds for people to sleep in. So, uh, you know, that was, when you're building something, it, it's very, very different than once you've established it. I can remember somebody saying to me after about the first five or six years, oh, well, you've, you've done the whole thing now. It's probably just a snap. <laughs> no, it wasn't just a snap, and it still isn't. What I have seen, that building from the bottom down is very different than taking over, which is what my uh, the next executive director did. Uh, you're just going in a different direction. You're becoming bigger. You're, you're well-known, so hospitals and hospital-related people will then come to support you. But you have to not only earn the money, you have to continue to get your volunteers to come in. I was uh, the only paid staff, and I only had one other half-time person. The house has grown and grown into maybe three half-time people, uh, at least among full-time or two full-time people and two half-time people. So that's a big, big, big change, and it's a wonderful change. I'm very happy to see it. Your, your uh, battles are different. Your, your, your work is different. Um, you do different fundraisers. I love doing small, intimate fundraisers, uh, and I like doing the big ones too. So I think probably there's more, uh, more help, and hopefully that translates to more time with the guests. That to me is key. Uh, the guests, the guests are why we're here. Certainly. It's their house. It's not our house. Certainly. Tell me about some of the guests that you can recall, you know, the time that they have spent here with you and just some of the memories of, of some of the individuals that you've encountered since, since the well, guest house is open. Well, there's thousands of stories. One of our first guests... Uh, were the Frigettes from uh, the North Country, and m most of our people come from the North Country, although we've served every county in New York State, uh, I think every state but one, and maybe we've done all of them now. People from all over the world have stayed here, maybe five or six different countries, people traveling and so on. One, uh, two minutes stayed here from Australia, one had a heart attack. And they became very good friends. Dick and I uh, actually went to Australia and stayed with them uh, for a couple of days while we were traveling in Australia. And we had other friends that we had known that we stayed with also. So uh, they still keep in touch. And that was, gosh, several years ago. Jane Frigette was one of our first guests, and she stayed. Her husband was in and out of the hospital several times. And... and um, Jane was a very, very quiet woman uh, until you messed it all with her husband or her husband's care. Then she was like a little banny rooster and she would pop her head right up and she'd let people know just what they were doing. Uh, 
another family, the Rogie family. I use their names because I've been given permission and I've written about both of these people. Uh, the Rogie family, the mother and father stayed here and the two sisters and the husband of the patient stayed with us. This was a long, long, long term situation. This mother had two young sons, one teenage boy and two maybe six and eight year olds. She came into the hospital uh, from the North Country again and um, it looked like flu. She had septus, so she ended up losing at least one hand, both legs, and part of another hand. And she was an artist. She painted. Um, she survived that. Uh, and her mother never, ever, ever cried in front of us, never complained. She was the most steady human being I've ever seen. And a woman of great faith. Little did I know at the time, they had all of these prayer groups praying for them all over the country. I went and did a, an interview with them and a very few people that I would do that with because you couldn't pick and choose and you didn't want to, you know, single out people. But it was such an exceptional story and by all rights, the doctors didn't think she would live. I wondered where the daughter got her strength. They were all very strong people. When I went to visit them, there were all of these uh, books around with pictures and notes of people that were praying for them. So, you know, those are the people I understand best, the people that have to rely on prayer. I've relied on prayer all my life. It's what has gotten me through uh, all of the difficult times. Um, and so I relate to that. And, and those are the families that um, always seem to be the strongest, that have the deepest faith. This woman never, I never heard her mention God. I never heard her mention anything. She always listened to all of the other guests. She never complained, and she just, how's your daughter? She'd just shake her head. Just, uh, just beautiful people, beautiful people. Um, there's hundreds. We had, in the little house, this is one of my favorite groups. This is a group of people. I had a Jewish family from Long Island, I had a woman from the carnival. She'd been a carny all her life from the straight shows. Her husband had been in the carnival all his life. Uh, I had a Puerto Rican man from New York City who had been a drug counselor and had been addicted to drugs uh, most of his life. Uh, and I had a young Amish couple. When I left, I said to the volunteer that day, do not talk about anything. Do not talk about religion, politics. No subject is safe. Make sure. I came back the next morning and I said, so what did everybody talk about? Politics, religion, <laughs> all the things that I said you may not discuss. So it was such an exceptional group. The carnival woman was a heavy smoker, so all of her clothes smelled of smoke. And her face looked like a smoker. And she was a frightened little lady because 
her family was gone. You know, the circus had left town. Uh, so they took very good care of their people, by the way. They called to make sure that everything was taken care of. They would write us checks, whatever. Uh, but this was a little house, mind you, so I only had one, two, three, four bedrooms. Some people had to share a room that didn't know each other. And in this case, the smoker was sharing a room with the beautiful Jewish mother or aunt. I can't remember which one. It didn't matter. You would never have put those two people together anyplace else except Sarah House. It wouldn't have worked. It just wouldn't have worked. And this beautiful Jewish woman who hated smoking took care of this little lady. It was... That was that people took care of each other, and that was the beautiful thing. This is luxury here at the new house compared to that house, you know. Mm. Uh, so th those are some of my favorite stories. But I've got a million stories, a million stories. Uh, the people make you richer. The people give you hope. Mm. Uh, that's the other thing about doing, this isn't work, this is a way of life, this was a way of life for me. Um, and I've received awards here and there, and um, I can remember the first time getting an award, and it was a little embarrassing, although I did want to be an actress, so I don't mind being center stage. <laughs> okay. Okay. But awards are a different thing, and, uh, and I can remember saying, and I still feel this very strongly, is we really shouldn't be getting awards for living the life the way we should. We're here to take care of each other. That's what human beings are supposed to be doing, all of us. Our job is to take care of each other. Now, if we really took that seriously, we wouldn't have the problems we have today, would we? So true. You know, people forget. People forget why they were born. Mm. We're here to take care of each other. So... Uh, and I don't forget any of the people that came through. I really don't forget them. Uh, I think of them often. One of the new people here at Sarah House, uh, who's our fundraiser, who's such an exceptional woman, Renee, got a letter recently from a guest that had stayed here 24 years ago, stayed in the little house. And he talked about not having any money, recently been married, and they were here well over eight weeks, and his wife had leukemia. Mm -hmm. And, of course, my nephew, one of the reasons I started Sarah House, had leukemia for eight years and died of it at age 30. Uh, so that's, you know, that always kind of gets me. So I, I, I get what people go through. And uh, this person writing the letter talked about not having any money and being treated so beautifully and being fed, being taken to the hospital, and <clears throat> nothing was ever asked of him. And he said, my wife and I now have a little business, and we'd like to give back and send a check for $10,000. Beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. So if you live long enough, you might see a little bit of the rewards from the seeds you planted. That's the difference in... Now and then, we were just a little, little group of people that, that were just trying to take care of each other. Uh -huh. And uh, 
so a lot has happened. When I uh, semi-retired, uh, I'd had two hips replaced, I'd had cancer myself. And the cancer came the only time that I hadn't gone to visit my uh, doctor and get a yearly report. And it was when I, we moved from the little house to the big house. I literally was working day and night. I laid floors, I painted. I never asked a volunteer to do something I wouldn't do myself. And that was very important to me. Uh, but I neglected my own health, which is not a good thing to do when you're in the business of taking care of each other. So I wrote about that afterwards, and I warned people, always take care of yourself. How else can you expect to take care of other people if you haven't done it for yourself? So I've learned a lot of lessons, and I've seen a lot of changes, uh, most of them good. Looking into the future, what, what would you like to see going forward um, for Sarah's house yeah. in particular and maybe beyond that? Um, part of my original dream was, one, to be able to serve the people and give them the hospitality, the food, the transportation, a warm place to stay, and the second was to expand so we could take in patients that couldn't be with other people. So people that had, because of whatever illness they had, so I wanted to have private rooms and, you know, so I accomplished part of that when we were able to put the bedrooms and private bath on the first floor so you could isolate from the three suites that were on the second floor. But I'd like to see, uh, more of that expanded. So I'd like to see an apartment situation or, you know, more um, more of that type of thing being done where people can't be with the others, you know. Uh, and the third phase, and I hope I live long enough to see this, is that I'd like to see uh, an expansion, if we're in the same uh, house, of uh, a healing space. I'd like to have um, holistic healing approaches being brought in because all of the medical people that I talk to today, not all but many, are looking at more of a wider picture and I, oh, I could always see that wider picture where that holistic kind of healing goes in and I'd like to see us being a part of that. Not just for the patient but for the patient's families because they're in pain and they need a place that's quiet and a spiritual center. I want to see that happen with Sarah House. Um, Sarah House now is called Sarah's Guest House, and that was a change that happened oh, some years ago. There were so many of us that were calling it Sarah House for 20 years, we, it's hard to make that change, but we're still doing what we're doing. And our inspiration was still Sarah from, from the Bible. So I'd, I'd like to live long enough to see that, or see the beginning of that. And so far, so good. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Um, probably my final question to you. It's one of the things that I've noticed when I came in and we took your picture um, right next to um, the quote with Sarah's house name on it, and there's other very beautiful quotes that's throughout the house. Tell me about the quotes, please. Uh, 
Um, I can't remember how the quilt started, but um, two things I, I love, and it's angels and quilts. So in the little house, there were people would give me angels, or there'd be pictures of angels, uh, and they came from all the guests, or people just stopping by, other volunteers and so on. I'm a great believer in angels. Quilts to me represent people's history, and, and each, each quilt piece to me is like part of an individual, and that's what our lives are. Our lives are unfinished quilts. When we get that last piece, we know that we're ready to go on to wherever we're going from here. So to me, it represents people's lives and, and so on. So many of the Amish people couldn't give us money, so they would make us quilts. And, and I, to me, that's a much greater gift. And, and people that have money can give money. People that make quilts come from the heart and they work with their hands. What could be more beautiful? So if I was asked what I wanted, I'd say I called her an angel for sure. Uh, but it just happened. And those are the things I can't explain to you. But that's all part, part of the whole spirituality of Sarah's. It really is. It, they just come. They come like the beautiful people that, that make them. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate your insight and your hospitality and your willingness and the courage, taking the courage of sharing the hospitality with so many others. Thank you, that's nice to hear. Absolutely. It's a, it's, <laughs> I, I really appreciate you being a guest on 52 Conversations. Thank you so much. What's well, an honor, and thank you for asking me. I can't tell you how very much it means to me to be asked. That's a great gift. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> to learn more about Sarah's Guest House, or to inquire about volunteering, you can go to their website, Sarah's Guest House, all one word, dot org or call them at 315-475-1747. 52 Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time.